Section 7 of Yet Again by Max Beerbohm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Study in Dejection. Riderless the horse was, and with none to hold his bridle. But he waited patiently, submissively, there where I saw him, at the shabby corner of a certain shabby little street in Chelsea. My beautiful, my beautiful, thou standest meekly by, sang Mrs. Norton of her Arab steed, with thy proudly arched and glossy neck, thy dark and fiery eye. Catching the eye of this other horse, I saw that such fire as might once have blazed there had long smouldered away. Chestnut, though he was, he had no metal. His chestnut coat was all dull and rough, unkempt as that of an inferior cab-horse. Of his once luxuriant mane there were but a few poor tufts now. His saddle was torn and weather-stained. The one stirrup that dangled therefrom was red with rust. I never saw in any creature a look of such unutterable dejection. Dejection, in the most literal sense of the word, indeed, was his. He had been cast down. He had fallen from higher and happier things. With his arched neck, and with other points, which not neglect nor ill-usage could rob of their old grace, he had kept something of his fallen day about him. In the window of the little shop outside which he stood were things that seemed to match him, things appealing to the sense that he appealed to. A tarnished French mirror, a strip of faded carpet, some rows of battered, tattered books, a few cups and saucers that had erst been riveted and erst been dusted, all these in the gallimaufry of other languid aunts and ends seen through this mud-splashed window silently echoed the silent misery of the horse they were remembering zion they had been beautiful once and expensive and well cared for and admired and coveted and now they had at least the consolation of being indoors public laughing-stock though they were, they had a barrier of glass between themselves and the irreverent world. To be warm and dry, too, was something. Piteous, they could yet afford to pity the horse. He was more ludicrously, more painfully, misplaced than they. A real blood-horse that has done his work is rightly left in the open air, turned out into some sweet meadow or paddock it would be cruel to make him spend his declining years inside a house where no grass is is it less cruel that a fine old rocking-horse should be thrust from the nursery out into the open air upon the pavement perhaps some child had just given the horse a contemptuous shove in passing for he was rocking gently when i chanced to see him nor did he cease to rock with a slight creak upon the pavement so long as I watched him. A particularly black and bitter north wind was blowing round the corner of the street. 
perhaps it was, that this kept the horse in motion. Boreas himself, invisible to my mortal eyes, may have been astride the saddle, lashing the tired old horse to this futile activity. But no, I think rather that the poor thing was rocking of his own accord, rocking to attract my attention. He saw in me a possible purchaser. He wanted to show me that he was still sound in wind and limb. Had I a small son at home? If so, here was the very mount for him. None of your frisky, showy, first-hand young brutes, on which no fond parent ought to risk his offspring's bones, but a sound, steady-going, well-mannered old hack, with never a spark of vice in him. Such was the message that I read in the glassy eye fixed on me. The nostril of faded scarlet seemed for a moment to dilate and quiver. At last, at last, was someone going to inquire his price? Once upon a time, in a far-off fashionable toy-shop, his price had been prohibitive, and he, the central attraction behind the gleaming shop-window, had plumed himself on his expensiveness. He had been in no hurry to be bought. It had seemed to him a good thing to stand there, motionless, majestic, day after day, far beyond the reach of average purses, and having in his mien something of the frigid nobility of the horses on the Parthenon frieze, with nothing at all of their unreality. A coat of real chestnut hair, glossy, glorious. From end to end of the Parthenon frieze, not one of the horses had that. From end to end of the toy-shop that exhibited him, not one of the horses was thus graced. Their flanks were mere wood, painted white, miserable creatures. It was difficult to believe that they had souls. No wonder they were cheap and went off, as the shopman said, so quickly, whilst he stayed grandly on, cynosure of eyes that dared not hope for him. Into bondage they went off, those others, and would be worked to death, doubtless, by brutal little boys. When, one fine day, a lady was actually not shocked by the price demanded for him, his pride was hurt, and when, that evening, he was packed in brown paper and hoisted to the roof of a four-wheeler, he faced the future fiercely. Who was this lady that her child should dare bestride him? With a biblical ha-ha, he vowed that the child should not stay long in the saddle. He must be thrown, badly, even though it was his seventh birthday. But this wicked intention vanished while the child danced around him in joy and wonder. Never yet had so many compliments been showered on him. Here, surely, was more the manner of a slave than of a master. And how lightly the child rode him, with never a tug or a kick. And, oh, how splendid it was to be flying thus through the air. Horses were made to be ridden, and he had never before savoured the true joy of life, 
for he had never known his own strength and fleetness. Forward, backward, faster, faster, to floor, to ceiling. Regiments of leaden soldiers watched his wild career. Noah's quite sedentary beasts gaped up at him in wonderment, as tiny to him as the gaping cows in the fields are to you when you pass by in an express train. This was life indeed. He remembered catafalto, remembered eclipse, and the rest nowhere. I, thought he, and even thus must Black Bess have rejoiced along the road to York, and Bucephalus, skimming under Alexander the plains of Asia, must have had just this glorious sense of freedom, only less so. Not Pegasus himself can have flown more swiftly. Pegasus, at last, became a constellation in the sky. Some day reflected the rocking-horse when the ride was over i too shall die and five stars will appear on the nursery ceiling alas for the vanity of equine ambition i wonder by what stages this poor beast came down in the world did the little boy's father go bankrupt leaving it to be sold in a lot with the other toys or was it merely given away when the little boy grew up to a poor but procreative relation who anon became poorer i should like to think that it had been mourned but i fear that whatever mourning there may have been for it must have been long ago discarded the creature did not look as if it had been ridden in any recent decade it looked as if it had almost abandoned the hope of ever being ridden again it was but hoping against hope now, as it stood rocking there in the bleak twilight. Bright, warm nurseries were for younger, happier horses. Still, it went on rocking, to show me that it could rock. The more sentimental a man is, the less is he helpful, the more loath is he to cancel the cause of his emotion. I did not buy the horse. A few days later, passing that way, I wished to renew my emotion. But lo, the horse was gone. Had some finer person than I bought it? Towed it to the haven where it would be? Likelier, it had but been relegated to some murky recess of the shop. I hope it had room to rock there. End of section seven.